Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Julian Story Aviation Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Julian Story Aviation Podcast. In this edition, we'll be discussing the effect that the COVID-19 pandemic is having on aviation worldwide, and we have a very special guest who explains to us what's involved in becoming a licensed aircraft engineer. You can download this podcast from Apple Podcast, Amazon Alexa, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and all the normal places that you would download your podcast from. To keep up to date with the latest aviation news and to follow our adventures, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, don't forget to check out our website, www.juliestory.co.uk. The coronavirus pandemic continues to wreak havoc on the aviation industry worldwide. The four business aircraft that we manage remain grounded and there's no sign of that situation changing any time soon. But some essential flights are continuing despite the challenges. One of the best companies in the business when it comes to helping operators negotiate these kind of challenges is Universal Aviation based in Houston, Texas. Robert Moyer and Christine Van Vakas from Universal join me now. Rob and Christine, hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Very good. I'm apart, doing great. Thanks so much apart, for having us. Apart from the lockdown, we're doing okay. None of us have got coronavirus, so I think we're sort of winning. So here in Europe, there's very yes. little going on aviation-wide. Is it the same in the rest of the world? I'll jump in here. I would say for the most part, um, you see that flights are, are trickling to, to nil. There are very few flights that are taking place, and the flights that are taking place are surrounded primarily by humanitarian and repatriation flights. Yeah, okay. So that was my next question. What kind of flights are still taking place? I mean, the, the normal sort of bizjet flights that we operate, all of that's stopped. All of that's grounded. Uh, so I'm guessing that most of the flights that are happening, there's a special reason for them happening. That is correct. Uh, you're, you're seeing a, a lot of operators are wanting to fly or needing to fly. Uh, but right now, with all the restrictions uh, around the world, a lot of the exceptions that we're seeing are for those humanitarian flights, uh, repatriation flights, as well as uh, any kind of uh, air ambulance type operations. Uh, other than that, uh, we're, we're seeing most uh, most operators just grounded uh, across the globe. Sure. And, and I know the situation, it was changing really fast. I mean, we had a trip last month around Africa. Uh, we've got an aircraft stranded in South Africa at the moment. Uh, and the situation was changing so quickly that it was hard to keep track of, of, of what, what countries were closing their borders. We were in uh, Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. And the plan had been to fly on to Zanzibar, but it became apparent that just wasn't going to be possible. So we uh, cut the trip short. Uh, we flew back to South Africa. Uh, we had a whole load of issues when we got back to South Africa. Uh, but it's impossible, really, to just keep on top of everything, the speed everything's changing. Are you finding that as well? 
Well, initially we were finding that uh, when a lot of this, so this has been going on already in, in the Far East, uh, especially in the China, Hong Kong area. Yeah. But when it really hit the quote-unquote Western world was about uh, around about the 10th or, or 9th or 10th of March. Yeah. And between then and now, we've seen more than a thousand uh, either new notums, new updates, or a variation of the two, a thousand notums and thousand restrictions uh, between you know the few hundred countries of the world, and it, it was like a tidal wave. But it took a very big global team effort from our side uh, to keep up with that uh, information, to really read, understand, and digest that information and put it on a platform for um, not just our customer base, but the aviation world to use um, as a resource. So hopefully we're able to uh, enlighten enlighten some uh, flight departments out there to what the, the major restrictions uh, currently are. Absolutely. And also to build on that, what Robert said, um, in addition to having these new attempts, some locations were changing, it felt like, hourly. And then when these restrictions were being issued, they weren't sophisticated enough. They were just blanket uh, restrictions. So what Robert was speaking to as far as digesting them was not only viewing these, but also looking into it further and determining how that is applicable to general aviation. Is it no general aviation flights? Is it only permitted for repatriation? Um, if so, are they permitting the crew to rest at the destination? So we had to really, and we continue to do so, uh, take a deep dive into any and every restriction that we're seeing to harvest what we need for the general aviation uh, platform. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what, what, sort of, what sort of challenges are, are, are crews facing at the moment? Obviously, there are borders closing, but, but what other challenges are they facing? Um, I think the primary thing is not only border closing as far as crew are concerned, um, but you're looking at visa restrictions. Yeah. Um, a lot of countries did either permit visas on arrival, which were removed as a possibility, or they informed persons that had visas that they were no longer valid and would have to try to reobtain one. Yeah. And then the other part is the rest. Um, because you have those limitations, countries were either not permitting it at all or permitting you to come in and be self-quarantined for a particular time or telling you that your only option is to sleep on the plane or drop and go. So those are the huge issues, and still are the hurdles that crew are facing currently. Yeah, I know that. I know, know that feeling particularly well. Uh, last month, we uh, spent three days sleeping on uh, a citation at Lanseria Airport in South Africa. You guys got us a landing permit uh, to go back to South Africa. It came through from the South African Department of Transport. But shortly before we took off, and they hadn't told anybody about this, they introduced a new restriction requiring that British citizens and a whole list of uh, citizens from a whole other list of countries needed to have a visa, whereas previously they hadn't needed to. So by the time we got to South Africa, uh, you needed to have a visa if you had a UK passport. So uh, we uh, we arrived with a landing permit, were denied entry to the country, and the only option that the immigration guys could give us was that we had to go back and stay in the aircraft. Now, by this point, loads of other countries in Africa had closed their borders, and there was nowhere we could fly to, or no safe country we could fly to, within the range of a citation that hadn't already closed its borders. So we spent three days sleeping in an aircraft uh, on the ramp at Lanseria. So I'm very familiar. I'm very familiar with that. Oh, that's, it puts a lot of stress on the crew, it's, you know, both with not knowing what's going to go on and, you know, being able to get your crew rest in order to be able to depart and head back to where um, your base is. 
Absolutely. So, and, 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 as, and as our saga continued, it was becoming less and less feasible that I could fly anywhere else, even if the border of any other country had been open, because you can't sleep properly in a citation with two passengers. Uh, that, that doesn't even come close to being crew rest. Uh, in the end, we ended up leaving the aircraft in South Africa. It's still there. Uh, I have to go back and get it when all this craziness is finished. Uh, and we got airline flights back to London. But yeah, we were in the aircraft for three days whilst this chaos was resolved. Uh, and it was, you know, it was very much a situation of, of, of events or regulations changing faster than anybody could keep up with them. So yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm familiar with that challenge. Absolutely. Some of the other challenges, uh, and it's good that you mentioned that, um, some of the other challenges that, that our crew being faced with uh, is the lack of crew rest. Um, say we, um, the industry pulls off a miracle and gets your flight approved from point A to point B to point C. Yeah. Um, however, the point B is you're t- normally a tech stop and a crew change. Yeah. You're no longer able to stay and, and have an overnight sleep uh, because you'll have to be in quarantine for 14 days. So you'll have to do a quick turn. Yeah. Um, but in order to do that quick turn, that technical refueling stop, and get a new crew on board, um, there's no way to get the crew in on commercial flights. A lot of countries don't have uh, commercial flights departing the country. Yeah. So a, a lot of operators are trying to take advantage of this time to you know, get some of their maintenance out of the way. and uh, But when they deliver their aircraft to a particular country, there's no commercial flights to get back home. Of course. Uh, so uh, a lot of uh, a lot of unique challenges that are that are there to be had. How are operators overcoming that? Are they staying there with the aircraft somehow, or what are they what are they tending to do? Uh, just keep working with the authorities, and and we found that the authorities are reviewing everything on a case by case basis. If there are restrictions in place that don't allow you to um, to stay, or if they allow you to stay, you'll have to be quarantined for 14 days. And um, some countries are 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 designating certain hotels to be essentially an approved quarantine okay. uh, location. So that's that's one option. Okay. Uh, another option is just um, put it aside and, and uh, wait for the commercial airlines to open back up. You have to kind of, you have to keep up with what's going on in the different countries or just have a, a good service provider that has, that you can lean on for the information. And a lot of that information we're seeing hopefully should either uh, start easing up towards the end of this month but uh, that's wishful thinking maybe yeah um, but a lot of these countries have the 30th of april as the next time that uh, either updates stronger restrictions or are the end of the uh, the uh, restrictions are, are to be had on the 30th of april but we'll see how that goes Okay. So how, how are you helping some of these operators overcome the challenges that they're facing? Uh, is there anything that you're doing differently that you wouldn't, have, wouldn't be normally doing, for example? We're, we're just taking it one case at a time, presenting it to the proper authorities, uh, and just asking for them to um, you know, provide a, an exception on your behalf. Are you finding that the authorities are reasonably sympathetic? Or, I mean, in South Africa, when we had our situation, I found that they were not in any way sympathetic. Uh, the fact that the government had caused the problem didn't seem to go any way to helping them want to resolve it. But are you finding that in most cases, uh, the authorities are, are sympathetic and trying to help or, or not so much? I think so. And I think maybe in your situation, because it was so fluid, uh, I'm sure the, the government uh, entities that were uh, enforcing those rules, or I think they're just trying to digest them and really understand what it was all about, what their, you know, what leeway they had, and instead of making the wrong decision, they just had to enforce it, for, you know, for face value. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Now that, that 
dust is kind of settled. I believe now they're they're settling in. They understand the restrictions. They understand the uh, flexibility they have when it comes to our unique industry, which is general aviation. And uh, as long as we're meeting all their all their protocols, showing that we're we're willing to you know do whatever it is we need to do uh, to be legal, quote unquote. Um, we're, we're finding that there's more empathy out there, but, it, but they have to get past the, uh, you know, that initial stage of trying to really understand what their, uh, uh, what their flexibility is. Yeah. Is there, is there any flexibility or the rules tend to be enforced on a, in a sort of hard and fast way? Uh, a lot of the hard and fast, uh, rules out there right now is really adhering to those quarantine, really adhering to keeping a solid, at least a 14 day, um, travel history. Yep. Where have you been in the, the previous 14 days before entering my country or before transiting my particular country? That's that's a good uh, protocol for anybody to keep right now. Where have you been over the past 14 days? Okay. Uh, that seems to be the key, one of the, the big key indicators. And just, just staying on top of, of um, the information that's out there. Um, should you be planning trips for May? We'd love to. Yep. But uh, probably on the 1st of May, a lot of the rules are going to change. Yep. And maybe the 15th of May, a lot of the rules are going to change. Mm-hmm. Be flexible. Be fluid with uh, with your schedules. Keep everybody educated to include your passengers. And we'll, uh, we'll figure out how to navigate these waters. Absolutely. Uh, what, what additional precautions, if any, do you think crew are taking to keep themselves and their passengers safe at the moment? Are you aware of uh, anything being done differently? I, I think the major thing that we're seeing is crew trying to ensure that they have the protective uh, equipment on board the aircraft, the PPE that we refer to. Um, yeah. The issue that some operators are finding is access to that because, of course, there are shortages worldwide. But they're, what we've informed them is to ensure that they they ensure that the flight or the aircraft, I'm sorry, is uh, processed. You know, as far as cleaning, uh, based on the SOP for the uh, from the OEM. So they're wanting to make sure that they follow those procedures. Outside of that, um, I haven't heard of any other specific restrictions that they're or specific uh, any additional um, items that they're doing to protect themselves. Okay. Are there, are there any requirements in, in terms of additional aircraft sanitization before landing or, or not? Not at this time. Um, based on what had transpired during the times of Zika, there were, but in this case, they're not. Some countries originally, um, I think Hong Kong was one of them, that they were requiring that when the crew get off that they wear protective uh, equipment yep. while they're on the ground. Other countries have just resorted and letting you know that you can do a tech stop through there, but the crew are and passengers are not allowed to get off the aircraft. But uh, there haven't been any specific processes implemented by any country. Okay, very good. We're seeing a big shift right now. Um, Of course, a lot of the GA aircraft are grounded. Yeah. Um, But we're seeing a big shift to a lot of cargo flights. There are a lot of of, uh, humanitarians across the globe wanting wanting to shift their focus on helping their local communities Okay. Uh, with PPE, we know a lot of that PPE is located in China. Yeah. Just a lot of the world supplies are in China. So we're seeing a big push from um, businesses all across the globe trying to um, to use their resources to secure, uh, pick up, and, and uh, deliver PPE back to their home countries. Uh, it, and that's uh, now shifting GA uh, perspective to a cargo conversation okay. and uh, 
So uh, that's a lot of the uh, the flights that you'll see today are a lot of the cargo flights. Uh, as Christine mentioned earlier, the repatriation flights are still happening, but not as uh, hot and heavy as they were uh, last month. The uh, this alarm was sounded last month. Get your people home, uh, whether it's employees, you know, remote workers, families, or a variation of the of the two. But we're still seeing some of those repatriation flights trickle in as well as uh, we go into more of a deeper shutdown. Um, you know, you see oil prices are now in the negative. Uh, so I'm some oil companies it. are having pulled. It's unheard of. It's it's crazy. So, but um, we as an industry were pretty resilient, and uh, we'll we'll stay on top of all the latest. Uh, uh, requirements and restrictions out there, and we know uh, we know our industry's eager to fly. I'm sure you're eager to go retrieve your aircraft, um, but uh, as soon as we're given the green light, I'm sure we'll we'll ease into the waters and uh, and uh, get this engine going again. Uh, yeah, the, the other thing I was going to say is that we do have operators that are ready and they're waiting for when restrictions are starting to ease to be able to operate again. So it's it's just waiting for that moment where you see certain countries starting to provide those eases and restrictions, and then they'll, they're ready to take off for business. As, as we all are. Robert, Christine, thank you so much for your time. That's brilliant. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you very so much. much indeed. Thank you. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The guys at Universal really do do a great job. We've used them for years and they've supported us on some really complex trips that probably wouldn't have gone anywhere near as smoothly without them. If you need to get airborne during the remainder of the pandemic or at any other time, I can't recommend them highly enough. If you're listening to this podcast in Europe, you can contact their European Operations Centre based at London Stansted Airport by dropping them an email to eoc 
at univ-wea.com. That's eoc at univ-wea.com or by calling them on plus four four one two seven nine six eight zero five six six. That's plus four four one two seven nine six eight zero five six six. If you need an aircraft delivered, Julian Story Aviation is your number one choice. Specializing in King Airs, CJs, Citations, and the Learjet 40 and 45, we can help you with everything from factory acceptance or arranging a pre-buy inspection through to guidance on importation, tax implications, and ownership structures, as well as faring your new aircraft. We have delivered dozens of aircraft worldwide, safely, on time, and on budget, and we would love to help you with yours. If you're buying or selling an aircraft, email fairing at julianstory.co.uk or call us on plus four four one six two four eight two nine four three six. For anyone who has any connection at all with Biggin Hell Airport, my next very special guest needs no introduction. He is the son of the legendary Singh, but he's also the co-founder and executive director of the British School of Aviation. He is Shonu Singh. Shonu, thank you for doing this, sir. How are you? Very well, thank you, Julian. Good to talk to you. Very good. Are you avoiding the coronavirus? Yes, keeping safe, uh, missing aviation very much. So yeah, it's uh, always been in my blood and we're back back at the airport. Absolutely right. So with aviation being in your blood, um, anyone who knows Big and Hill will know your father. I met him, I think, 25 years ago. So how, uh, is, is it a stupid question to say, how did you get involved in aviation? Absolutely not. No, no, it's a, it's a great question. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be born into aviation with um, my father setting up Falcon Flying Services in the late 70s at Biggin Hill Airport. It was a very different airport then. I remember. Uh, not as corporate as it is now. Yeah, you probably do. <laughs> I yeah, remember as as a, a bit older than me. as a young boy, <laughs> I used to ride up there on my bicycle, look through the railings at, at all the PA28s and Cessna 172s, and I used to think to myself, one day I'm going to learn to fly one of those. And I remember, I mean, it was a very different place. I mean, you could. You could get into the terminal building. You could buy a cup of tea and make it last all day. Uh, you could watch the aeroplanes. And, and back then, it was much more of a mix of aircraft. There's a lot of light aircraft, whereas now it's mainly biz jets. And, I, you know, I know that's the way... It's the way of it's the way of the world, but yeah, it's a very different for better or for worse. It's a very different airport to the way it was even twenty years ago. Yeah, that's right. And uh, currently now uh, on the GA side of things, there's um, us Falcon Flying Services and uh, and another another one or two companies uh, on a smaller scale. The flight training wise, we're the biggest and the oldest at Big and Hill now, yeah. uh, and have been for some some time. That. Uh, through EFG Flying School that uh, my brother Anoop, he runs all the flight training side of things. So that's been doing very well. It's just, uh, it's a shame we're in this uh, current climate and we've had to just pause on things for a minute, but uh, we're keen to start up again. Absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it is as if somebody has pressed the pause yeah. button on aviation at the moment, uh, but it can't last forever. And there's uh, there's got to be there's got to be a light at the end of the tunnel somewhere. But uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, it was pretty much inevitable. Oh, it's so surprising, Julian. The amount of people that are saying, oh, you know, they can't wait to start flying again. Yeah, it's it's really a great feedback. 
Yeah, oh, well, me as well. I mean, I do it for a living, but I, I haven't flown since 18th of March. That's the longest in 23 years that I've not been flying. And it just feels very odd not to be able to go fly when you want to. We just sort of take it for granted. And, you know, this sort yeah. of thing comes along and everything, you know, it's a whole different it's a whole different world, isn't it? But going back to yeah. going back to you, I mean, it's, it's pretty much inevitable, wasn't it, that you were going to be involved in aviation in some way or other? We, we, did, did your father encourage you to or is it just something you just wanted to do because you saw him do it? it how did that work? I think it kind of happened by default. I remember when I was about five, six years old, my uh, dad used to take me up to the airport during my holidays and yeah. sometimes after school and uh, just got me in, into the hangar and I used to help the boys. Uh, well, they used to get me all the uh, to do all the dirty jobs like cleaning and yeah. the boring mundane jobs like un- unscrewing the panels and things like that. But, you know, at that sort of age, six up to 10 years old, you know, you're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm working on an aircraft, and there's nothing I wanted more than that. Yeah, you go to school and speak to your friends. No one, no one, no one else will have spent the weekend fixing an airplane, will they? That's not going to happen. No, no, absolutely not. And then, when you're then told that oh, there's a test flight happening or a check flight, do you, do you want to come along? And you know that buzz is so amazing, and I still remember it now. Yeah. You know that that moment never goes. Absolutely. Very special. Absolutely right. So you went from helping at your dad's workshop when you were a little boy. How did how did that progress to becoming a career? What what, what which direction did you go in? How I don't even know how you become an aircraft engineer. I know a lot about becoming a pilot because I've been there and done it, but I know nothing about becoming an engineer. It's like a sort of a mystery to me. Uh, you guys are just people we take the aircraft to when it breaks. How how did you go from helping your dad's workshop to to it being a career? Yeah. So. I remember quite clearly, actually, I was, uh, I'd finished school and A-levels and higher education, and I made an application to a college in Bristol, which was Brunel College back then. Okay. And I applied to become an aircraft engineer uh, under the old BCAR system, it was called. Okay. It's uh, moved on from there now. And I got accepted to uh, do my qualifications with them. And it was a, a two-and-a-half-year course, I remember, uh, full-time, uh, where I sat a series of classes, and at the end I would sit for my module exams, yeah. uh, which were 17 different exams. Quite tough, I have to say, but yeah. uh, the teaching was good, so okay. that really did help. And what I managed to pass those exams, and I, by then... At that time, you used to do an oral exam with the Civil Aviation Authority. Okay. And uh, I'd passed that, and uh, I was issued a license soon after. And I was fortunate enough because I had the practical experience behind my belt. Right, yeah, of course. Uh, things are quite different now, which I can explain to you as well. Okay. Uh, nowadays, it's called a Part 66 license. Okay. Which is recognized all over the world, but it is actually a European based license okay so all the member states have their own licenses and you can either go to a college or you can self-study or you could go to places like british school of aviation that i'm i'm uh, part of okay let's talk and, a little uh, bit of, let's talk a little can, bit about that how did how did that come about yeah sure uh, well british school of aviation came about by chance actually uh, when the sad demise of Monarch Airlines happened back in 2018. Yeah, uh, We were given the chance by the administrators to take over their Part 147 school, which is where you can uh, carry out your Civil Aviation Authority 
type ratings and basic exams. Okay. Now, Monocle's at the forefront of, of, uh, of this. We've uh, continued that, and we're very fortunate, uh, along with uh, my three other partners, to uh, carry out our first typing exams for the Boeing 787 in, okay. uh, uh, earlier in November this year. Okay. Oh, for last year, sorry. Uh, and we've uh, had some major airlines on those courses, which we're very proud of. Brilliant. Uh, I won't name drop just yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, we're soon to be approved for the Boeing 737, uh, NG and MAX as well. Very good. So do you? is it, is it only the type-specific courses you do at the uh, British School of Aviation, or, or, do you, or do you take a young person uh, who wants to be an aircraft engineer and train them to be an engineer? Do you do the whole thing, or is it just, is it just, the, just the type-specific courses? No. So at the moment, it, it, we were concentrating on the type-specific courses, okay. but coming from industry and talking to the CA as well have been very supportive. We've realised that there is a distinct need of uh, more licensed engineers in industry. Yeah. Now uh, we've we've focused on that, and we are now offering the B1 and B2 basic courses, okay. uh, albeit through a short course. Okay. Now the B1 is mainly the mechanical engineering side of things. Okay. And the B2. Uh, there's a big rivalry between the B1s and the B2s. But I'm aware of this. The B2s uh, more on the avionics side of things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but slowly, engineers are going for both licenses at the same time for the B1 and B2 Is that right? combined. Okay. So yeah. if, I, if I was a young man or a young woman and I was fairly practical and I thought to myself that becoming an aircraft engineer would be a, a good career, how would I start? What what exams would be good for them to take at school? Is there other subjects that are good for them to, to, to concentrate on or does it not matter? And what are the requirements to get onto these courses? Yes, so at school, the standard maths, English and uh, probably a science such as physics always tends to help Okay. Uh, at GCSE level. Yeah. You do need five GCSEs. I know the grading has changed now, but it used to be a grade C or above. Yeah, I don't really understand. Uh, it. it's, it's, it's now it's number, all number, it's numbers rather than letters, now. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so for us older um, people, it's, it's the equivalent to a sort of an A to C. Yes, that's yeah. right. Although the, there are exemptions as well. Okay. The uh, CA are quite practical about this. If you can study for the exams and pass them, then you're more than capable of uh, completing the the course. Probably a little bit like the flying exams. I mean, there's there's no there's no academic requirement officially to to, to take the uh, the the ATPL exams. But if you don't understand any math or any physics, you, you ain't going to do it. It's probably the same deal, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's more incompetence. So uh, so 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 they get some reasonable GCSEs that that will, that will help them understand what they're what they're going to do. What what would be the next step? So the next step would be either to sign up with a college on a full-time course. Yeah. Now, the full-time courses are about two and a half years. Okay. Or you can either do it as a self-study course where you sit at home and you buy the books online. You can buy them through BSA, British School of Aviation. Okay. There are other companies out there. Okay. And you can either sit them with a company like BSA or go to the CAA and yeah. the exam modules there. Okay. And those exams, what, what do those so, exams give you? They, they are, they're part of what you need to get your engineering license. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So you'll be sitting various, yeah, depending on what route you want to go down, B1, B2 or combined, 
you'll be sitting maths, physics, uh, legislation, human factors, various topics like these, uh, aerodynamics. And I tell you what, it, I know you're learning to achieve this license, but what you actually gain from it is amazing. And the thought process that goes into it, it's a life skill that you end up achieving. Absolutely. So once you've passed your exams, and of course there'll be a practical element either with an employer or, or, or at college, uh, what's the next step? You can presumably then start to try and get yourself a job as a licensed engineer, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So demand is high, yep. which is a great thing. Yep. Uh, so you could either start by, in fact, if we rewind a little bit, uh, at the start of your career, if you sign up as an apprentice with, with an, a maintenance organisation uh, uh, albeit uh, through general aviation or through an airline, yeah. they will then, uh, sign you up with a registered facility, which is, again, sorry to mention uh, BSA again. but No, 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 go for uh, it. BSA is now offering, will be starting up the apprenticeship scheme uh, very soon. So you could uh, sign up with an airline and then they will send you to someone like us where you will carry out your apprenticeship and uh, carry out your modules. So from the start, you start off with an A-license okay. uh, category course, and uh, that will what, give you the basics what, working what is on that? the B1 and B2. Okay, so what is, I didn't know about that. What's an, what's an A-license? So an A-license engineer uh, will, will be given basic responsibilities within a company okay. where, where they can do minor tasks like tire and wheel change, and uh, there's, uh, the company themselves will have their own tasks set out that an A-licensed engineer can do. Okay. But they can't certify any any major uh, rectification work uh, on any aircraft or on any live Okay, so it's, 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 it's a basic line maintenance that they would be able to do. Correct, yeah. yeah. And they are utilised by many of the airlines, such as uh, TUI and EasyJet, Ryanair. Yeah. It's a, it's a great way to set off on your career. Absolutely right. And to, to, to hold an A license, you still need to, to be clear, you still need to have done all the exams. Um, but that's the first license you get, is it? You don't, yeah. You don't do all the exams that the B1s and B2s do. Okay. Uh, if anyone wants more information, I can always get information sent out. But uh, you do less modules than you would with the full licenses. Okay. So when you when you first start setting out on the road to becoming an aircraft engineer, uh, I know a lot of people work on the smaller aircraft, like, like like at the flying schools and the flying clubs. Other people go and work for EasyJet or Virgin or someone on a on a big aircraft. Is it the same license or is it a different license? Uh, well, the license is the same, but whether you choose to go down the piston engine route or the turbine route, that's where the difference is. Right, okay. Uh, you can the modules for both piston and gas turbine engines, yeah. which will give you privileges to work on both. Uh, and do you, do you but ultimately, you're studying the same, yeah. Okay. No, so so do, you, do you decide that in the beginning, uh, or, or can, you, can you change from one to the other during your career, and, and what would you have to do? Generally, yeah, at the beginning of your career, of your course, you'd uh, choose what route you want to go down. Yeah. Many people do do both because it's, there's not much in it to do both. Okay. And you always have that fallback that if there is, uh, if you do have an industry career change from piston engine to gas turbine or vice versa, you can then at least have a fallback on what you're going to do next, which is always 
I think that covers everything. How would uh, how would somebody get in touch with you if they were interested in uh, setting off on this path? Yeah, sure. Uh, so you could either go to our website on at Falcon, which is uh, simply falcon.aero, A-R-O. That's for the GA side of things. And for our Part 147 school, which is at Luton Airport, that's BSA, Bravo Sierra Alpha, dot world, W-O-R-L-D. And just pop your details into the contact form there and uh, we'll definitely get back to you. Brilliant. That's super. Shane, thank you so much. Um, stay safe, avoid the coronavirus, and I hope we all get back to normal soon. It's been a real pleasure, Julian, and we all admire all your trips around the world. You're, you're doing fantastic and, and can't wait to see them resumed on LinkedIn again. Thank you, my friend. We'll speak to you very soon. Thanks for doing this, man. Take care. Thank Thanks you, a lot, Shirley. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks. If you've enjoyed listening to this edition of the Julian Story Aviation podcast, then don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. If you have any comments about the podcast or have any great ideas for a podcast guest, drop me an email to podcast at julianstory.co.uk. Finally, stay safe in what are unquestionably the strangest of times, and if you're one of the lucky ones who's still managing to fly, fly safe and keep it shiny side up. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.